Hi, and welcome to the Injury Report. This is Dr. Katherine Logan. I'm a sports surgeon based in Denver, Colorado. I'm here today with my team, Bridget von Boxtel. She's a physician assistant and athletic trainer, as well as Alex Becker. She's an athletic trainer and a surgical assist. We are here today with Michael Ginta. Um, we're really excited. He is a physical therapist and a CSCS. He's the owner of Evolution Physical Therapy, which is based in Los Angeles as well as the New York area. I'm excited to talk to Mike today. Uh, we've known each other for years now. We originally crossed paths working together at the Burton Open and more recently have been working together with the Premier Lacrosse League um, or the PLL. So today he's going to be focusing on ankle mobility. Specifically, he's going to be talking to us about how ankle mobility affects the whole kinetic chain and how we should be looking at it more closely with athletes and how ultimately it's going to affect um, their ability to play at a high level and as well as return to play after injury. We're excited to have him and I'm going to let him um, give it a little intro about himself and his background. I am a physical therapist and certified strength and conditioning specialist, owner of Evolution Physical Therapy, and I'm also the head of medical for the Premier Lacrosse League. Cool. Um, and so tell us a little bit more about your businesses. So basically what our business is an outpatient physical therapy company that started out in California with kind of the you know, direction of redefining the profession of physical therapy in a way that we're truly connecting the world of physical therapy and fitness and, and really trying to bridge the gap between those two things. Um, we've been able to build a uh, successful practice um, where we now have seven locations in Los Angeles. We've also started to integrate what we've been doing on the East Coast, and we have since opened two locations on the East Coast uh, in Connecticut in the last year uh, for the same reasons and, and really just trying to deliver what we feel like physical therapy should look like to as many people as possible. So take us back to when you're in PT school, were you thinking, was this your vision coming out? Is this what you expected your career path to look like? So when I was in PT school, I was extremely interested in the fitness world. Um, so I pr pursued uh, my certification as a certified strength and conditioning specialist at that point and started working more in combine training and elite athletics. Um, I think it was there that I really started to develop kind of the, you know, the, the, the passion for really specific movement patterns and, you know, identifying the, the kinks in, in movement, especially with those high-level athletes. So I always actually envisioned myself being in a situation where I was working with a team, um, working in, you know, one of the four major sports. Um, and as PT school went along and I started to learn more and more about, you know, the, the different career paths that a physical therapist could take, I realized that I wanted to get in with a small practice um, that had the vision of growing. And instead of going and hanging my shingle outside and, you know, opening up Michael Jones Physical Therapy, um, I decided that I was, you know, much better off you know, trying to really help other people who were passionate about the same things that I was um, deliver that aspect and, 
of different people in the community. And how did you get to California? I moved to California when I was right out of PT school because I was too freaking cold. I was in upstate New York York for the better part of of six years between Ithaca and Rochester. And I I, honestly remember a very specific moment where I was driving to my job. Um, It must have been... February, uh, kind of mid mid morning in, in Rochester, and I was a personal trainer at, at a Gold's Gym out there. And I woke up, kind of got ready, got in my car, and was driving. And I noticed that even ten minutes into the drive, with the heat blast in my car, that my toes were still numb. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something different. <laughs> I just gotta, I gotta make a change here. Um, you know, so I. Um, kind of started the pursuit of, of California at that point, and I was fortunate uh, in my last year of PT school that I, um, I won a national contest uh, with the American Physical Therapy Association private practice section where we had to develop a business plan um, for basically a, a private practice, and I, I had this idea of really doing a lot of like community engagement, um, kind of outreach sort of stuff, and I developed kind of this lengthy business plan and was fortunate enough to win that and was flown down to Washington, D.C. to present some of my stuff, and, you know, this this private practice section meeting was like a breeding ground for a new grad because, you know, every private practice section owner in the country was there, so, you know, I, I started to find you know, all the different California private practice owners, um, was handing out my resume, was fortunate enough to meet a couple professional athletes um, at that conference, uh, whom I still actually keep in touch with today and have worked with them on the professional level as well as, you know, on the individual level and, you know, also just created friendships with, you know, those people. Um, and it's there where, you know, I, I kind of, found my niche or I guess my, my way of getting out to California by, by meeting the person that I eventually started working for. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, nice little roll forward experience where, you know, I, I kind of got everything that I, I wanted out of uh, that plan. So obviously today we're focusing on ankle mobility. Um, can you give us a little insight to when you started to think a little bit more about ankle mobility as a big part of your evaluation process? My work with Burton Snowboards at the Burton U.S. Open, uh, where we were seeing a, a ton of ankle injuries and kind of realizing where those were coming from and, you know, why they were happening, you know, kind of piqued my interest level in, in that particular part of the body and starting to understand how that worked into the overall system. Um, so I think it was all those things that kind of um, combined together uh, that started me looking at, at those areas a little bit more. You mentioned the Burton Open, Mike. Are you seeing more of these ankle mobility issues in athletes that are in a, like a fixed boot or a high top or is shoe wear or boot wear important? Well, I, I absolutely think shoe wear and, and footwear is important. However, I don't think it's the, the be-all, end-all that um, it's oftentimes made out to be. Um, I think oftentimes we try to correct for foot deficits with exterior, um, 
you know, bracing devices or whether they're orthotics or lifts or whatever that might be, you know, rather than really looking at the inherent weaknesses that are, that might be in the foot or an ankle or up the chain. Um, so, you know, the, the answer is that actually a lot of the, the snowboarders, even though they're in a fixed boot, have really flexible ankles. And it's probably because of the training that they're doing in the off season. Um, and then the question lies in, you know, when they're, you know, flying up in the air and, and coming down on a landing, are those ankles that are really super flexible actually working against them because they're moving through this, you know, bigger range of motion, you know, putting a little bit more pressure on their cartilage. And, and that's where we were seeing some of the osteochondral defects that they would get um, from really slamming hard on, on those landings. So um, I, I think... You know, you, you have to look at every single person individually and, and say, you know, let's put all of these factors together, you know, the, the foot intrinsic strength, the, the extrinsic strength, the footwear that they're wearing, the actual impact and forces that they're putting on their body, and then start to create a plan from there um, rather than thinking about just kind of a blanket, you know, hey, let's change your shoes and, you know, that's going to fix you or let's do this one other little thing and that's going to fix you. It's kind of the, you know, the all-encompassing approach. Cool. So take us through, you started to talk about it, but take us through someone comes into the clinic and, you you know, you think that ankle mobility might be a heart of their problem. Take us down through, like, your um, assessment rundown. Sure. Um, and I think... You know, ultimately that looks generally the same no matter who comes through the door. Um, I really try to stick to my, you know, assessment approach that I've formulated for myself throughout the years. And it's a mixture of a lot of different systems and approaches and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I encourage any physical therapist to, and really any movement professional, fitness professional, whatever it might be, to develop their own approach uh, of assessment. I think we have a lot of good kind of standard practice ones and, and really good research ones, but there's always things that can be added based on the individual and, and the way that you kind of put information together and, and put data together in your own brain. Um, so I, I tend to, you know, go through my my normal routine of looking at their squatting mechanics and their single leg squatting mechanics. Um, they're, you know, looking at what things look like with their arms overhead uh, versus arms not being overhead, um, putting their heels up on a block versus not putting their heels up on the block, um, and then really dive deeper into more specific muscle testing and, and strengthening and, and looking there, um, and then finishing up with maybe some more functional testing um, to really, you know, get them to, to move a little bit more and, and see where I might see some flaws there. Um, so when I'm starting to suspect the ankle, um, then I will kind of go ahead and, and look into that a little bit further, um, just from like a actual joint movement perspective. So I might do, um, you know, some different special tests on the ankle or check to really see how those joints are moving. Um, but as far as an overall assessment, you know, I'm generally checking that on everybody because you're not, you never really know when you're going to find something that's just weird, right? Like that they all of a sudden have you know, uh, a half an inch less of ankle dorsiflexion on one side uh, compared to the other. Um, and this might be somebody with back pain, right? right? And so you start to tie all these 
little things together and say, you know, hey, we might not know exactly where your back pain is coming from, but um, one of the lines that I, you know, use, we all have these like little lines, right, that we use with their, <laughs> with our patients, and when you work with us long enough, you hear them enough, and then you start to laugh when you start to, to hear them. But, um, you know, one, one of my lines that I like to use with uh, my patients, particularly when I don't have a super specific diagnosis for them, which is often um, when it's just a, you know, movement impairment problem is, hey, let's create a problem list, right? And we're going to start to check off all of these things in our problem list. And when we can't check off any more things and you're still in pain, then we know that we need to look into something else um, to kind of get you better. But, you know, the kind of the good thing um, is that we saw all these things and all these areas that you have impairments. Uh, so we have a lot to work on. Um, and we kind of start, start from that point. Yeah, I think that's a smart way to do it because you're often doing that in your own mind. But you know, sharing it with them, you know, allows them to have a better understanding of what we're working towards and it won't feel so open-ended and abstract. So it gives them some real, you know, real goals. Absolutely. And people, people want to people know what's wrong with them, right? They, they don't want to come in. They're not coming to see you for you to tell them, like, hey, everything looks pretty good, you know? Right. Um, and even though in your own mind you're like, mm, you know, this, this kind of looks like crap or, you know, this, <laughs> this, this area is really weak. I mean, you really should share that stuff with them, not be shy about it, because ultimately they're there um, to use your expertise and to use your advice. Um, and having the confidence to deliver information that you see and you feel um, in a very specific, specific and confident way is important in the initial um, trust-gaining um, aspect of, you know, the, the first couple times you see a patient. Right. And, I mean, you know how our clinic runs and uh, the testing we do here, you know, with Alex, but... You know, I think what we've learned from that is just that data is really powerful. And even someone who comes in who you don't think is necessarily going to be bought in doing the work in physical therapy and they don't have a surgical problem, you know, if Alex runs them through motion testing and force mat testing, you know, they, they see the data and then they see the videos of themselves on the big screen and they really understand, okay, there's things that I have to work on. Absolutely. And especially when you get to the higher level of athletes where, you know, they're, they're so athletic, uh, I kind of call them master compensators because mm -hmm. they've been able to, to use their talent a lot of times to get around a lot of their deficits. So when you can truly show them with an eye test of, hey, these are the things that are wrong and it's very definitive and here's, here's why I'm saying that, it's extremely powerful and it, and it really sets a fire on under them to um, want to do better and, and want to fix those issues. So I think that that trickles out to everybody else that when they see these things, you know, a lot of people have a misguided perception, you know, maybe of themselves, like, hey, actually I do this really, really well, but when you break some of those components down, you start to realize that, hey, you know, you might feel good doing this, but if we're able to fix X, Y, and Z that we see with these data points, then we'll be able to really optimize you and you'll be feeling better doing that. So I think we're seeing that across the board with a lot of the athletes that you all are doing testing with, you know, the, the motion analysis or the force plate analysis, um, that we're finding things that we otherwise wouldn't have uh, found and we're working on them a little bit more diligently. 
So speaking of technology, what kind of things are you implementing um, in your practice? So, you know, the, the probably the two biggies, uh, the first one technology-wise uh, is certainly the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. Um, I love that machine um, to utilize in the rehab process to, to getting somebody, you know, back to uh, where they were prior or also just kind of as a unloading mechanism when somebody's, you know, doing a lot of miles in their training and this kind of would provide us a, a way to decrease some of those forces and impact on their body um, and really as kind of use it as like an injury prevention tactic. So that's one. Uh, the body track force plate analysis has probably been one of the, the more important tools that we started using um, about two years ago. <laughs> that kind of gave me as a physical therapist, and I, you know, I, I can, I think I can speak for a lot of the people in our practice that are, are using it, a lot of things that we've been looking for as physical therapists that we just weren't able to get. We just didn't have the technology to do it. Um, and I think that that has been extremely impactful in our practice, you know, from somebody who had a total hip or total knee replacement all the way up to an elite athlete who's, you know, feeling fine but didn't really understand that when they're squatting they're not loading, you know, one side quite as well as the other. So across the board, that, that has been absolutely incredible. Uh, with ankle mobility, I know you kind of talk about it more for like um, – kind of increasing performance, especially with the elite athletes, do you see it as something that could be really useful in injury prevention just kind of across a lot of different uh, sports or activities? Different sports, different activities, different people. I think somebody who is walking down the road and that's their you know normal form of activity could definitely benefit from that assessment there. Um, again, I think we oftentimes really protect ourselves or shield ourselves with our shoe wear or, you know, with, you know, different exercise approaches that we're doing and we don't really dive down deep into to the why and, and why I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. Um, so I certainly think a lot of things could be prevented if we saw, hey, you have this discrepancy from one side to the other. Um, I know you don't have any pain, whether it's in your foot, ankle, knee, hip, low back. Um, I can even oftentimes relate it all the way up to the shoulder. Um, I know you're not feeling anything now, but me seeing this makes me think that something down the line is, you know, going to happen. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I know that if we fix that, then we're a lot less likely to have some sort of symptom um, of some kind up the chain, you know, in the future. And it, it's so hard to do a retroactive study on injury prevention, right? Because basically, if we're successful, it just means that the person never got injured. Um, but how do you really prove that that person was going to get injured in the first place? Right. Right. How do you, how do you truly put any sort of data behind that that says it? Um, so I think it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more subjective where we're, we're looking at things and identifying uh, the problem points and saying, hey, let's, let's work on this stuff. And, you know, I, I know that if you're going to work on this stuff that you're going to feel a hell of a lot better. If you're feeling a hell of a lot better, then, you know, I know you're, you're going to move better and you're going to perform better. And that's, you know, something that I think any person would tell you. And then, you know, the, the elite level athletes that are just entirely, you know, dialed into their bodies 100%, you know, are, are going to be able to feel that a little bit more. 
often do you see people coming into your clinic just for like an injury prevention screen or is it only when they're having pain or something is bothering them? Yeah, it's not often that people come in for, for an injury prevention screen. So we've kind of adopted a system where we go out to people. Um, and we, we're really trying to break down the barriers um, that are involved with uh, people. You know, why are they not seeking out healthcare professionals? Why are they not, in particular, seeking out a physical therapist, um, even when they're not in pain? Uh, so we said, hey, screw it, we're going to go out and we're going to find you. Um, so we're, we're so often out in the community just kind of offering our quick screens and, and services and trying to identify some of these things. And it's amazing how many times we talk to people who, you know, maybe just aren't even thinking about a deficit that they have. And when you point something out, they're like, oh, yeah, you know what, I, I do feel that when, you know, um, in mile seven of my run or I do feel that when – um, I'm sitting for a long time and I go to stand up um, and it kind of just opens their eyes to the fact that like they don't have to be feeling that way and it might not be um, something that's you know preventing them from doing an activity that they love or um, even just getting through their their day-to-day activities but when we are able to have those conversations with them um, they realize that they could just be feeling better on a daily basis and I think at the end of the day that's that's what it's all about, and when those people get to later stages of their life, um, if they're if they're working on a lot of this stuff, you know, for years and years, I think they're certainly going to be feeling better when you know they get to that point. When you were in school, did they like focus on ankle mobility and like how it can really impact you know the rest of the body, or like where did you kind of start really focusing on that? No, that wasn't that definitely wasn't a big point or. Um, in PT school, I, you know, I, I think, you know, so I graduated PT school in 2010, so it's been, you know, eight, nine years since I've been in practicing, and things have certainly changed since then, um, so I hope that they're, they're teaching that in, in schools and in programs now, but really over the, these last 10 years is when the functional movement screen and the, the SFMA and all these sort of systematic um, assessments have been developed. Um, so we've learned them more in post-grad continuing education focused courses rather than we're actually in PT school. PT school gave us kind of the, the broader idea of, hey, these are some of the things that you should be looking at, but I don't think we, or I at least, um, understood the true impact of, you know, what ankle mobility could have on the rest of the system um, until, you know, a couple years after school. Yeah, I think... You put together a really great blog um, that I know is on your website, and we'll make sure it's linked to this podcast, where you talk a lot about ankle mobility and then your techniques to work to improve it. Um, but do you want to outline that? So once you identify yeah, there's a deficit? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, first, you know, it always comes down to the assessment and assessing one side compared to the other. But what if both sides are the same, Right. And you're not seeing a side-to-side difference. Does that mean that there's no inherent ankle mobility deficit? Or does that mean, like, they're just both kind of bad, right? So I think that that's the first area to to assess and see, you know, what things are looking at. Um, I think a squat tells you a lot, um, especially doing a deep squat and holding it and starting to see where somebody fatigues. Uh, A lot of people, the, the front of their shins, 
um, that big tibial to anterior muscle that, that crosses the, the ankle joint starts to really fire up and kick in. And when that starts to happen, that right there tells me that, you know, they, they definitely are having a deficit because if that muscle is trying so hard to keep them upright, um, that means that they're not able to sit back into that joint space quite quite as good. So, you know, a, a assessment that oftentimes we use with a lot of youth athletes is, hey, get into as deep of a squat as you can, and we want to see if you can hold that for five minutes. And we basically just assess where they start to fatigue or if they kind of fall over. Um, then we'll do an assessment on, you know, what might have caused that, right? So just a kind of a quick and dirty one that you can do pretty easily. Um, and then, yeah, as, as far as working on it, I think it comes down to, one, working on the foot intrinsic muscles. So, you know, how is your um, how are your toes moving? Are they able to move independently of one another? Um, do you have that neuromuscular control to do that? Um, and then going into more c- continuous articular rotations where you're moving through the entire joint space, trying to get stronger in a larger range of motion is really important. Um, and then, and then loading and seeing if, you know, once you have a little bit more mobility, can you start to load it? And then can you be strong in that loaded position? Because ultimately that's what a athletic activity is going to require you to do is load at a, at a much higher level. So you have to mimic that in the clinic to prepare somebody to get better. So those are probably the, the stages of it. Um, what's mixed in there, a lot of manual therapy to, to open up the joint space, you know, checking out, you know, soft tissue restrictions, maybe in the gastroxoleus complex, um, maybe in the tibialis anterior peroneal muscles, um, making sure that all of those muscles are working, you know, at their optimal level. All those things are extremely important to the ankle. Yeah, and I think you said earlier that, you know, there's these master compensators, and we've certainly seen those. Um, in the lacrosse league where, you know, you test them out in a squat and, you know, it's something that they should be able to do with relative ease. But as you sort of do these deep holds that they really do have these patterns that become very apparent. And, you know, I've seen really great changes. Like as you've worked on their ankle mobility, you know, you see like how much they improve and it's really an important component. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a prime example of a professional tennis player that I was working with, and this is kind of how I would tie in the, the force plate analysis, is it was somebody who's, you know, post-op with, a, with an ankle surgery. We don't have to dive deep into that, but, you know, we just couldn't really figure out why she, when she was getting into the later stages of her, of her matches, um, that she was getting pain and she was unable to load the ankle. And when I watched her squat, it looked great. It looked you know, what I would say was completely fine. Um, but then when I got her on the force plate analysis and I got her to get into some of these deep squatted positions, for some somehow she was able to unload the basically the heel of her foot and come onto the toe of her foot with without being virtually able to see that at all. And yeah. so you know, the only way I was able to identify it was to put her on a force plate and see it in real time where she was putting the pressures in her foot. And at that point, we really started to dive into, um, you know, improving her ankle mobility, getting her to sit back onto her heel and load. And lo and behold, her leg was all the way up the chain was just getting absolutely fired up and fatigued because those muscles were just not used to working in those positions. Um, 
And I think that, that was a really key turning point in that particular athlete's rehab. Um, and and now she's you know back to doing everything she loves and competing at one of the one of the highest levels. Um, but that's kind of how we were able to, to tie all that stuff in together. And you can really see the power of working on some of those things. And in, in no way am I saying that this is the be-all, end-all, like only work on somebody's ankle. Um, but it's certainly something that we're seeing unlocks a whole lot of potential oftentimes. Yeah, I think that's a great example. So what other tips and tricks would you have for therapists or just anyone working in the fitness space to develop their understanding of ankle mobility and how it affects the chain? Yeah, so, you know, the first thing is obviously um, making sure that you have eyes on it, making sure that you're, you're looking at it um, as, as part of your assessment. Um, and then, you know, switching, switching things up. Um, I'm a, I'm a really big believer in when you're doing an exercise with somebody, make sure that you're focusing on what the exercise is actually supposed to focus on. Um, so, for example, if I am doing a single leg step down exercise um, and I'm working on loading them through the hip and, and getting them as deep down into that single leg um, squat as I can, oftentimes I'll give them like a little stick to balance on because the primary, or balance with, um, because the primary purpose of that exercise is actually strength. And if I allow them to uh, fail that exercise because of balance, I don't really get what I want out of that exercise. And there's going to be plenty other incidences where I'm going to actually be working on their balance, right? So there's plenty of other exercises that we might do in their session, typically toward the end of the session, to focus on that. So I think sometimes I, I see people doing certain exercises and they're falling all over the place and the balance is, you know, prohibiting them from, from doing it. And I just, you know, my, my question to those therapists is like, what is the purpose of that exercise? You know, is it to help them gain balance or is it to help them gain strength? So sometimes taking those components out and then as they get better, you can challenge them with starting to, to remove some of those external balance devices and, you know, that sort of thing. And a lot of times you'll see that, especially if you have your their shoes off that they're, you know, they're trying to grip with their toes and doing all these things to compensate. And if they have their shoes on, you wouldn't necessarily see that. Um, so you want to make sure that you're, you know, working from ground up and, you know, giving those cues to make sure that a person is engaging the, the proper, proper muscle groups and um, proper systems to perform those activities um, the correct way. With, um, like, treatment of shin splints, have you seen that, like, I know even, like, when I was at a high school setting, we would see a lot of shin splints, especially just, you know, cross-country or track runners. Um, have you seen that just working with ankle mobility has been good for treatment, not just prevention of those? Yeah, ankle mobility and foot intrinsic strength for that one. Um, I think a lot of times, um, again, foot intrinsic strength is something that we've taken for granted, and, you know, the when the Born to Run book came out, and, you know, however many years ago, and everybody started going towards the, the barefoot running approach, I think the big thing that was missed in there is that it's not that shoes are bad, it's just that we've been wearing our shoes all of our lives, so to think that, um, you know, that our our foot intrinsics are going to be strong when they've been protected for however many years that is, I think, a little far-fetched. Um, so I would encourage everybody to work on that, that stuff and, and work on their, you know, you know, their, their 
toe flexors, their toe extensors, um, because I think that, you know, just like working on your core strength will help um, not have the bigger muscles in your low back, say, fire um, as much, I think focusing on the, the foot intrinsics will allow some of those muscles up the chain to not have to do double duty. Um, so that might be a lot of times why we're seeing those shin splints is because those tibialis anteriors or peroneals are just working way too hard and there's not as much, you know, counter or not as much um, ancillary support. Um, so they end up doing too much of the job that they're, they're not supposed to actually do. Um, and then if you, you know, continue that down the line, you know, somebody might get a stress reaction or stress fracture or something like that, you know, it, it potentially could have been prevented with working on some of these, these things. So, you know, my, my biggest thing is to also get in the ears of coaches, right, and tell the coaches that, hey, these are some things that you could potentially have your team to working on. Um, you know, they don't necessarily need to be a medical professional to understand that, but hopefully some of the coaches are, are getting educated enough to understand that, hey, here's some other things that we might be able to throw into their program, especially at the youth level, that will help them. Good. That's awesome. I mean, all of this is super helpful. Um, and I think, you know, I like doing these because I feel like we learn a lot too, just, <laughs> you know, just – talking to you and turning the questions on you (laughs) I can't wait (laughs) um so we really appreciate it and I think what we'll end up doing is putting you know links to your blogs and I know you have those really great videos that you've done demonstrating the self techniques that people can do and also the therapist assisted techniques but I thought those were great I've shared them a lot with patients in the area in Denver um so if that's you know I think that gives them a lot of support yeah, I think that that would be great. And I, you know, the the main question I would have at, at kind of that next level is, you know, where where do you, are you all seeing this as an issue when somebody comes in with an injury? I mean, it's it's kind of hard to assess when it, they have a catastrophic injury that this might yeah. be a cause. But um, you know, certainly in, the, in those earlier stages of post op after rehab, um, is that something that you're gonna or you're beginning to look at just from a movement pattern standpoint? So where I see it a lot is in my post-op patients, especially, I mean, really anybody who's had a lower extremity surgery who's been on crutches even a short period of time, but certainly if, you know, they're non-weight bearing for six weeks, they've had a big repair, um, you know, you you do, you know, you see these big restrictions. Um, We do put them on the force mat, and then when we do the biomotion testing and we look at their deep squat and their modified deep squat, you see a huge difference when you modify. So I, I think... For us, that's something that we're always trying to encourage the therapists that we work with here in Denver to make sure that they're putting into practice. Um, So, you know, I I think absolutely we do see it, but I'm not sure we would pick up on it if we weren't doing all that extra data collection. If we weren't doing all the motion testing, I think if we were doing your standard orthopedic, you know, exam, let me check your incisions, how is your quad firing, what's your range of motion, I think we would miss it big time. Yeah, I agree. And, it, you know, for, for therapists, it's another kind of thing to just talk about or touch on quickly is there's just so much to do, right, in a, in a post-op rehab that oftentimes, you know, this kind of stuff gets forgotten. Um, so I think it's important to 
you know, talk about this stuff and have it be front of mind. Um, so you're maybe giving somebody something for even for home so you don't have to focus on in the clinic. And I think even that kind of stuff, just getting somebody to think about, you know, the way that their foot and ankle are moving. I think almost every protocol that I've ever seen for low, lower body surgery has ankle pumps in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think that that's mainly due to blood flow yeah. um, and not as much due to ankle mobility. Um, and I think if we start to see some of that, you know, cr- continuous articular motions at the ankle, this is purely for joint mechanics and joint motion, not just for blood flow, um, that hopefully, especially the, the, you know, newer therapists can see some of that stuff and realize that it is important. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think, I mean, as you know, like with my background, I'm thinking about these things more than the average orthopedic surgeon and ankle mobility was like not even on my radar, you know, for a long time. So I think, you know, as far as coming out of the orthopedic space, it's going to take a lot of education within that community to really get it at the forefront of our minds. Um, But that's why you take data, you know, that's the only way you're going to sort of get these concepts. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool and it's really awesome to see your group and your practice um, doing all these things because your patients are benefiting from that extra assessment so much um, as well as the, the physical therapist, you know, because not every physical therapist can have force plate analysis and, and motion trackers and that kind of stuff in their clinics. But with you all doing it in your clinic and being able to disperse that data, it just, you know, gives your patients that extra level um, of care that I think goes a a really long way. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, Alex, were you going to say something? I thought I was cutting Alex (laughs) off. (laughs) (laughs) I've said a lot. I've said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want you to come out and visit again. your ankles? (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's not talk about them. (laughs) I was, as you were talking about, um, you know, just the burn you get when the deep squat and all I could think about, especially like early season on the mountain, you know, just like how if I'm, <laughs> if I'm, <laughs> yeah, if I'm riding and then all of a sudden I'm like, I got to pull off on the side. <laughs> this does not feel right. Yeah. <laughs> So every every that's the uh, that's your that's your clinic's new challenge for this week is to see how long you can hold that deep squat all the way down. Yeah, do I get to wear my heels? No. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, and, and then next and then next is on the voodoo board, right? Yeah, so that's, that's the next level. That's yeah. what I've been practicing. <laughs> well, we have a challenge coming up for the voodoo board. We have one tomorrow with one of our Arthrex reps. He's coming up, so and then um, one of our PLL guys is coming in soon, so we're ready. All right, I love it. That's what I like to hear. Well, we hope you visit soon. We miss you, and I know I will yeah. see you in LA in a few weeks. But you know, yeah, we'd absolutely. love to have you come in the OR and hang out. Yeah, and listen to that Metallica. You got to take the headphones <laughs> out for me if I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't share my secrets. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank Um, you for everything. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's great talking to you all, and uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. You too. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mike for sharing his insight on ankle mobility. 
up on the website. I'm going to put up uh, those links that I talked about during the podcast. So links to videos that do self-directed techniques as well as therapist-assisted techniques, as well as a blog post that Mike put together. So you can find those on the website, clogan.md.com. Thanks again.